You are listening to episode number 41 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. So I was at a restaurant a few weeks ago for a surprise birthday dinner for one of my dearest friends, and I was so pleasantly surprised to have an old student as our server. I had taught him over six years ago in eighth grade physical science and ninth grade biology before he ended up transferring to another school, and I hadn't seen him since. But we were able to catch up throughout the meal and talk about life and where he was and how he had been doing. And my friends kept poking fun at me each time he would leave just for how much I remembered about him and his life and just how deep our conversation got when I hadn't even seen this student in over six years. But what they didn't get, because none of them are teachers, is how the relationships we build with our students can truly span a lifetime if they're done with care and intentionality. And intentionally building relationships with my students has always been incredibly important to me because when I think back to my most memorable learning experiences as a student, they were all centered around the teachers who I felt really cared about me as a person. I firmly believe that teaching is about so much more than the content we share with our students. I want my students to know and love my content, but most of all, I want them to know that they are known and loved, that I am on their side and I am rooting for them wherever they may go in life. But where do we even begin building relationships like that with our students? Relationships that show them that we can be trusted and that we are for them to the point where we can retain a personal connection to them years down the road. Today, I'm going to share with you four practical tips for how to do exactly that. Let's jump in. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Okay, okay. So before we dive in, you may be thinking, Rebecca, you said that this week was going to be all of our tips that we submitted for the podcast for how to reach every learner. And yes, I did say that. But here's the problem. I did not get enough tips submitted to make a full episode, and I didn't want to just have like a five-minute episode. This is like the group project where only a fraction of the group members actually participate, and I don't know if the question wasn't specific enough or if it was just one of those things where you felt like other people are going to volunteer, so I don't need to, but I'll just straight up tell you. There just weren't enough tips to get a really substantial episode out of it. And if y'all don't want to have your voices heard on the podcast, that is totally fine. You know that I can just keep on gabbing on and on each week. I can make that happen. But if you want to hear other voices, including potentially your own on the podcast, I still would love to hear your tips and your ideas for how to reach every learner in your classes. So I'm just going to leave the submission form open inevitably. And if you feel so led that you want to share any tip that you have whatsoever to reach all the learners in your classroom, you can still do that. You can submit a voice message. You can literally write down word for word what you want to say and then just record yourself reading it. That's totally fine. And I'll just keep that open. It'll be linked in the show notes again. If eventually enough 
tips are compiled, I will make sure to make an episode about it in the future to get out to you because I would love for you all to hear from each other. But if not, I will just keep being the main voice on this podcast, okay? So no pressure, but if you want to hear someone besides me, I would love to hear from you and you can do that at the link in the show notes. All right. So now that we've addressed that, let's talk about building relationships with our students. Because as I mentioned in last week's episode, where I shared my own four personal tips for reaching every learner in your classes, I think building relationships with students is just foundational for that. So I want to dive into that deeper. And I'll be honest, there are a ton of things that I am not great at. I'm not great at being patient. I'm not great at offering grace to students. I'm not great at sitting in meetings that I feel like have no purpose. I'm not great at pretending that I'm interested in something that I'm not interested in. And I'm definitely not great or even good or even adequate at anything that requires me to be sporty in any way whatsoever. I mean, I can keep going on with this list, but there are a lot of things I'm not great at. But I do think I'm good at building relationships with students. And I believe this to be true because even now, when I've been out of the classroom full-time for four years since we adopted our oldest, I keep up with a ton of my former students. I have some students in college that come by my house over their holiday breaks. I have some students that have now graduated college and have called me to talk through their career choices and their next steps in life. I live in a small town and a lot of my students stay after high school. They don't go on to further their education and they stay and they work in the tourism industry because of where I live. So I basically can't go anywhere in my town without seeing an old student. And I love catching up with them and connecting with them again. So I say all this to say, I love building true authentic connections with my students that can span years of time. And there are four ways that I do this and they are super simple and super practical. My first tip is start with their name. (laughs) And I know this is like a no-brainer, but I do this and I do this quickly at the very beginning of the school year. And here's how. At the start of the year, I make a seating chart for every class. And on the first day of school, I wait at the door and as students are walking in, I ask them to tell me their name and I introduce myself and ask them what they like to go by in case it's not what is in, you know, my roster. And then I write their name on the seating chart that they want to go by. And then I tell them where to sit. So all of my seats are labeled like 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B. So they tell them where to sit. And then that night, the first night of school, I make no plans so that I can sit and memorize my seating chart and memorize the students' names. And then the next day, I try to greet students on day two of the school year at the door by name from memory. And I know this may seem overly simplified. Again, I know that, but it's just a small first step in building relationships with students that says, I see you and I value you as an individual and I want to know you. I care enough to know your name and to spend my time last night learning your name. And the seating chart really does make a big difference. I try to do it in alphabetical order based on last name. I find it easier to learn their first and last name together. So I do that and that really helps me as well. So I encourage you, if you really struggle with names, make a seating chart. It really, really helps. And now I know if you're listening to this, at this point, you're like, Rebecca, we've been in school for like one to two months. I obviously know all my students' names by now. And that is great. I'm so glad. But I just want to encourage you, if you start with new students in January because you're on a semester block schedule or, you know, even just for next school year, just make this a priority that within the first day or two, you will know every one of your students by name. 
The second tip I have for you is make it a goal from there to connect with each student at least once per class period. And I know this may seem especially intimidating if you have 25 or 30 plus students, but it is doable if you do something simple and that's use popsicle sticks. So another thing I do at the beginning of the year on top of making my seating chart is I make a class set of popsicle sticks and each popsicle stick has the student's name on it. And I store these either in a cup at the front of my classroom or at times I've done like a plastic bag and I've put like a Velcro strip on one side and then I stick it to the side of my demo table. And I have one for each class period. And I use these popsicle sticks with the students' names on them for everything. Anytime I ask a question and I wanna get answers from my students, I draw names out of uh, the bag or out of the cup. When I'm trying to engage students in discussion and they may not be participating, I draw names. If we're making lab groups, I draw popsicle stick names. If I'm assigning tasks, I mean, literally anything I do, I'm drawing names from the popsicle sticks. And I make sure that I go through my cup or my bag of popsicle sticks at least once a class period to make sure I have spoken to each student and called them by name every day. And since I also like to greet my students at the door at the start of class, that's like my second interaction. So I'm seeing them at the door and then I'm also drawing their popsicle stick. And I know that it may just seem so obvious, But I found that before I implemented this strategy, I would spend a lot of the class period interacting with the students that were the loudest. So either the ones that were the most high achieving and that were raising their hands and participating a lot, but then also the ones that were the most disruptive. And there were so many students, especially when I was teaching 30 to 32 in a class that just slipped through the radar during the class period because they were, you know, not as outgoing or not as disruptive. And I want every student in my class to feel not only noticed, but known and cared for. And drawing the popsicle sticks held me accountable to that. Another thing I like to do, which is a little like sub tip of this one, is I set a timer so that it goes off with five minutes left in class every class period. And I do this so that I can kind of save that last five minutes of class to reconnect with students, you know, make sure we've got the lab cleaned up, you know, make sure we all know what due dates are coming up or what to expect tomorrow, or just connect with them one last time before they are out my door. I don't like the bell to dismiss my students. I want to be the one to dismiss them. And so when I give myself this little like five minute warning, it helps us kind of all regroup and reconnect before the bell then rings and they're out the door. And so another way I'll do this is I'll use this five-minute time to see, okay, did I get through all of the popsicle sticks or not? And if I didn't, then I will go through all the remaining popsicle sticks and I'll just say, tell me something good, and I'll draw a name. You know, Rajan, tell me something good. Stephanie, tell me something good. And they can just literally tell me anything. And I try to get through the popsicle sticks that way. So that's another suggestion too, if you're like, oh no, it's the end of class and I only got through half the sticks. Use that to say, tell me something good. Or, you know, it could, you don't have to say, tell me something good. You could do something else. Um, another fun one I've seen on social media recently is tell me a boring fact. So for example, a boring fact about me is I've never broken a bone. So that's a fact, but it's also not very exciting, but it's a boring fact. So you could say, tell me something good or give me a boring fact and then just draw their names and you can connect with them that last time too before they're out the door. Really prioritizing class time to connect with students and make sure every student gets connected to at least once, I think is really important. Okay, my third tip for you to build relationships with your students is to send positive feedback emails to their parents or guardians. Think about it. When was the last time you emailed a parent or a guardian about a positive interaction with a student and not a negative one? 
I know my first few years teaching, the answer was honestly never. It wasn't until my third year in the classroom when I was teaching at a new school and I sat in my mid-year eval with my principal right before winter break and he told me that his goal for me second semester was to focus more of my energy on creating relationships with parents. And I literally thought at first that I had misheard him. (laughs) I was like, he wants me to build relationships with parents? I was crushing it with students. I was like, why do I need to know their parents too? That was just something that hadn't even crossed my radar. And I really didn't get the need or purpose for it until one, I started doing it and I started seeing what a difference it made. And two, I myself became a parent and saw how valuable it was to have relationships with my own children's teachers. So because of my principal's challenge that semester, I started setting aside 30 minutes every Friday afternoon before I left for the weekend to send super quick emails home to parents with something positive about their student. It would literally be like a three sentence email, like, hi, introduce myself. Just wanted to let you know, I loved spending time with Blake this week in my class. He asked some great questions and it's just been fun to teach him. Have a great weekend, Rebecca Joyner. And it was so fun to contact each parent or guardian because I saw that they were so surprised to hear something good from a teacher. Like it really caught so many of them off guard. And some students would even come in on Monday and thank me for saying something nice to their parents on Friday going into the weekend. Like for me, kind of giving them a little boost going into the weekend with their parents. And I just found that it built rapport with the parent, but also with the student so much more than I anticipated. And then if I did end up having to reach out to a parent with an issue, they became so much more receptive and responsive because they felt like they actually knew me because they'd heard from me before. And they felt like I knew their student because I had sent them some really specific encouragement about their students that really showed that I cared about them. And this made a really, really big difference. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to support your students in their extracurricular activities. I can't tell you how much it meant for my students to hear my voice in the stands. And I have been known to have a very specific holler. That's what my students called it. Miss J's holler that students learn to recognize and they would know Miss J is in the stands or, you know, she is in the audience at this play because they heard my holler and I could then tell them the next day, Hey, I was in the audience. I was so impressed by how well you played the drums or, Hey, I was in the stands at your tennis match. And it was so cool to see you do that. And just to see you shine outside the classroom for them to know that their teacher cares about them enough to take the time to come and see them outside of class is such a game changer for so many of our students. And it's a game changer for their parents, for them to see their teachers outside of class. And so you may be wondering though, how on earth do you find the time to do this? Okay, so it looked different before I had had kids and now with kids. I'll give you advice for both, no matter where you are. So if you do not have children, before I had kids, this is what I did. I would just choose to stay late at school once or twice a week, just until whatever performance or game or competition was starting. And so this allowed me to not only get a ton of grading and prep done in my one late day, but it just made it a lot easier to go. I don't know about you, but once I get home and I see my couch like beckoning me, it's a lot harder to head back out to the field or head back out to the theater. So I just committed like, okay, there's a JV volleyball game Thursday. It starts at five. I'm going to stay till five so that I can attend that. Or 
The Spring Art Showcase starts at 7 on Tuesday. That's late, but I'm just going to like make this project due on Tuesday, and then I'll just grade all those projects up until the Spring Art Showcase, and then I'll stay for that. And then just get all of your extra work done leading up to that event, and then you can go home immediately after on all the other days of the week, leave at 3 or 3.30. And so that was really, really motivating for me just to plan. I'm going to stay until this starts. And it's not like I was doing this necessarily every week, but I was making it a point to do it. And when I planned for it, it made it a lot easier to do it. Now with kids, that's a different story. And I'm no pro at this because my kids are all little. So I know this is going to be a lot different if you have older kids. Like if you have your own kids, like you're going to their football games or you're going to their, you know, band practices or recitals or whatever it may be. So I don't necessarily have as much advice for that. But if you have little kids, this was actually a lot easier to do than I thought. I don't know about you, but with my kids, four to six is kind of like the witching hours and having outings with them actually makes it easier. Like being home with my kids from four to six just feels like it's a breeding ground for chaos and emotions and drama. Like we're all tired. We're all tired of each other. And so we need to get out and about. And I want to encourage you, especially if you teach lower classmen, JV games are where it's at. They start early. Oftentimes like C team or JV team or whatever starts at four or five because then varsity plays at six or seven. And so this is the perfect time to bring your kids. I think we were like the number one fans of all the JV basketball games, you know, that winter. My son, when he was two, was obsessed with going to the games. So when he was two, my daughter was just a handful of months. So I would wear her in the ergo. She would take her little cat nap on me and we would go sit in the stands and we would cheer on all the JV teams. And it was so great to support students in that way. He absolutely loved it. She got her cat nap in and we got out of the house during the worst hours of the day. And it was just such a great time with my kids. And now on a practical note, you might be thinking, well, then what do you do for dinner? Because you're getting home late and how are you supposed to eat? So I would plan crockpot meals on the nights that I knew I was going to go to an event. And that way, when I walked in, you know, that night dinner was ready and it was warm and it was good to eat. One of my absolute favorites that is so easy is just a pound of frozen chicken breasts, one taco seasoning packet, one jar of salsa verde. And you can leave those that in your crock pot for like eight to 10 hours. So I would just turn it on low and leave it for the day. And then you can use that to fill soft tacos. You can make nachos or quesadillas. Or another thing, if you like to cut up peppers and, or onions and you can put those in the crock pot too, and then it's like these fajita bowls and you can serve them over rice. And if you do not have a rice cooker, you need to get one. They're like $30 on Amazon and you can set a time, like a delayed timer, like have the rice ready in eight hours. And then you can walk into dinner ready and rice ready and you're ready to go. And so I really encourage you to do that. Another favorite is just a pot roast. Like get that big hunk of meat, throw some potatoes in there, some baby red potatoes even, or, you know, white potatoes and cut them up, chop up some onion into big chunks, throw in some baby carrots and an onion soup packet and a cream and mushroom soup can. And in eight hours, eight to 10 hours, you just have like the most delicious meal. Okay, so plan on a crock pot meal those nights that you're staying late. And you don't need to do this every week, even if you try to go once a month, okay? Just once a month, attend an extracurricular. It's gonna make such a difference in your students' lives, okay? So I hope you find these four tips simple enough that they don't overwhelm you and actionable enough that you can get started right away. My challenge for you this week, since you most likely know everyone's names at this point, is to do one of the following things. 
First, either put every student's name on a popsicle stick and start utilizing those every day. Your second option is to email 20% of your students' parents with something positive this week. So if you teach 100 students right now throughout your day, that's 20 of your students' parents that I want you to email this week. And then I want you to do another 20 next week. And then by the end of October, you will most likely be around the end of your first quarter and into your second quarter. You will have contacted and connected with each parent once positively. How awesome is that? Okay, so either choose from doing the popsicle stick method, emailing the positive feedback, or the third challenge for you is just go to an extracurricular activity this week. Okay, I guarantee you you have like 20 options what you can do. It's so easy in the fall. There's so much going on. Bring your kids, bring your roommate, bring your partner or your spouse and just make it an activity that you do this week to support your students. I promise it'll make a difference. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find any links I mentioned in the show notes at itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash episode 41. And if you enjoyed what you're hearing on the podcast, please leave a review wherever you listen. It's not only a major encouragement to me as I'm recording them to know that people are listening and enjoying, but it also just helps other science teachers find the podcast. So I would love if you would take the time to do that. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.